Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Good morning. We'll be reading from uh, Ephesians this morning, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ Jesus might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Well, good morning, church. A few announcements before we get ready and into the book of Ephesians. Um, we, right after worship, we're having an archery meeting, so about 10 to 15 minutes after worship, we are 
relaunching the archery ministry. Uh, Russ McNaughton is heading that up. If you are interested and can't make the meeting, please talk to Russ. Um, but we need volunteers. We need people just to, to kind of bodies to be here, to monitor the kids. Um, bow and arrows, we were talking this morning, that, you know, that, that, can, that can be dangerous. So we, we need adult bodies, um, teen bodies, anybody that wants to volunteer. And you'll hear a lot more of that as we get closer. But today, after worship, about 15 minutes after, we're going to meet. Um, June 4th, Saturday at 10 o'clock, if you're interested, a few of us are going to be going to a church on Butternut Street called Casa de Paz. Um, this is a church, a, a pastor that I've been getting to know, Steve knows well, and just kind of handing out uh, medical supplies, praying and sharing the gospel um, on Butternut Street with another church. This is a church we're looking to, to partner with. It's called Casa de Paz. It means House of Peace. It's a Spanish-speaking congregation. The, the, the pastor preaches in Spanish. He's reaching that population in the city. Um, they also speak English. Uh, we do still need cleaning help. There's a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. So if, if that's something that you can do, sign up. If you have questions about that, um, you can ask me, ask Betsy, Calabria, ask Rick. Um, all right, so let's, let's get at it and pray. Heavenly Father, you indeed do go before us, and um, if you didn't go before us, we would be hopeless. Um, help us to stand in, in your power and might, not our own power and might, as Dave prayed. Um, we often, often go in our own power we often forget about you. Lord, what we just heard read in Paul's letter, chapter 1, are some glorious truths. And I confess that often I treat those truths as not glorious. So we ask as a body for forgiveness there, and we ask as we go through Ephesians as a church, that, that some of these, these truths and these big words and words that we sometimes lose uh, meaning because we hear them so often that you just work by your Holy Spirit to, to, to show us the magnitude and grace and glory that is in Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone in here that does not know you, Lord, that, that you work in their hearts and cause them, like we read in Peter, cause them to be born again to the living hope that is you. We pray this in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. So, have you, uh, and I know many of you are going to say yes, but I, I, by show of hands, and, and some of the kids, maybe your hands aren't going to go up, but have you ever flown in an airplane? Right. Lots, and, and maybe some of you haven't. Um, I, for, for the last 20 years of my life, I've flown, I wouldn't say a lot, but, you know, three, four times a year. Um, I always want a window seat. I'm actually shocked when people don't want a window seat. I, I, I love looking out as the plane's taking off, as we're cruising um, over 
uh, whatever state that we're in. In fact, uh, a lot of years I was flying out west, and one of the things I loved was you'd be just, you know, see flat ground, flat ground, flat ground, and all of a sudden you hit the Rockies. And you're, you may be cruising at 30,000 feet, but you, as you know, some of those mountains are um, 14, 15, even, even more thousand feet. So those mountains start to kind of creep up, and you're like, wow, that is beautiful. And I always love when, when I fly back into Syracuse, um, especially in the summer, and if it's clear, which, as you know, it might not be a clear day. But if you do get a clear day flying into Syracuse, especially if you're coming from the west, and you fly over the Finger Lakes, and you see all of the, you know, you see the farms and all the cultivated land and all the rivers and all the water, the, 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 just the abundance of water that is central New York. And you kind of get a spatially an idea like, oh, wow, there's Lake Ontario, but I think this Finger Lake is, you know, maybe that's Seneca, Cayuga, oh, there's Skinny Atlas Lake and Oneida Lake. And you start seeing it all and you, you've got a beautiful view of everything. And then as the plane comes down, you start seeing buildings and streets that you're familiar with. I love that part of, of landing. You see neighborhoods. I'm always looking for my own house. I've never quite pinpointed my own house, but I have been close over it. But you get to see, a, like, oh, okay, I know that neighborhood. I know those streets. I know that, that building. And then you land. And as your pastor, I start with this illustration because this is how we should study the Bible. At times, we want to do the 30,000-foot view. We just did that with our sermon series on the promise. If you remember, we started in Genesis, and we just traced this promise, and we went all the way from Genesis right through the prophets to Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection. And that was a quick, it was a 30,000-foot view, and it was a fast one. At other times, we want to come down and maybe see things at 10,000 feet and get a, a view for, okay, what, what's going on with this letter? And we take big chunks and look at it like that. But what we're going to be doing for the next 20 to 24 weeks is we're literally going to land. We're landing the plane and we're going to be in Ephesus. And we're going to be in those streets, looking at buildings, looking around, turning words over. But what I want you to keep in mind when we're doing this is don't forget the 30,000-foot view that we just did in that sermon series on the promise. It's all connected. It's all um, part of the same story. It's all part of the same promise. Um, they, they are together. They go together. So let's begin here in Ephesians 1. We're going to only look at two verses today. It's not going to be like this every week, but we're just looking at the introduction in the book of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we're going to look at this intro here, and you might think, well, is there enough in there, Pastor? And I, I think there is. Um, but before we look at it, just if you can remember last week, if you missed last week, 
Last week was the origin story of the church in Ephesus. Acts has a bunch of information on Ephesus, and, and we looked at what was going on in Acts. Does anyone remember some of the things that, that were happening in, in Ephesus last week? You can shout it out. Artemis. Artemis, Artemis was a statue, um, a, a, an idol that they worshipped. They worshipped Artemis. Artemis was a, a, a god, a little g. So Ephesus was known for the, the place where you come and worship Artemis. People from all over the, the, the Mediterranean were worshipping Artemis. What else? What else does... Anyone remember anything else from last week about what was going on in, in Ephesus? They were living like the world. Yeah, they were living like the world. What else? Trade route. Trade route. Amy and Ron, tra- trade route. Yep, so it was a major trade route. Ephesus was kind of like a modern day, think New York City, San Francisco port. It was on the water, but it was also on a land route, and, and people we're passing through it. So you've got a lot of ideas, a lot of spirituality going on here in Ephesus. Ephesus had a really weird, charismatic flavor to it. There was a story we looked at last week, and we're just going to um, touch on it here today. But do you remember the, the seven sons of the Jewish high priest, Siva? They were Jewish itinerant, itinerant means traveling, so they were traveling Jewish exorcists. So apparently there was a need for exorcism in Ephesus. And these sons of Siva were traveling around and trying to cast out demons, or they thought they were casting out demons, or maybe they were, but whatever the case was, Ephesus had a charismatic flair. In fact, so much that Things happened in Ephesus that didn't happen in every town. Acts 19, 11 to, to 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched, that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So this is... Crazy. There is another place in the Bible where this is happening, but just think about it. Paul's clothes were doing miracles. God had a reason why God wanted to authenticate the message of Paul. Paul was, is an apostle. So these miracles are not something that's normative. We're not going around doing these miracles on our own. God certainly can still do them. But in the book of Acts, when you see all of this crazy stuff going on, what's happening is God is saying, these are my people, my apostles, believe them. They were speaking the literal word of God, the apostles. I'm up here as your pastor. I am reading, reading the word of God and unpacking it, but in no way is Pastor Anthony speaking the word of God. If I start saying that, you want to form a committee and get me out of here very quick, if you start hearing any of that from me. So Ephesus is spiritual in nature, and then we also know that there's a false teaching problem about to happen. Paul meets with the elders, and in tears, he says, fierce wolves are coming. 
And, and those wolves aren't, aren't going to hurt people physically. What they're going to do is come in to your church and teach something different and slowly lead people away and astray. And in fact, we looked at the book of 1 Timothy, and Paul charges Timothy. He says, stay in Ephesus and command those that are teaching these things, command them not to. Um, and then we kind of looked at the, the end of the, uh, the Bible and Revelation, and Jesus had some good words for Ephesus, like, hey, you guys, you're good with the false teachers. You've got that down, but you've kind of lost your first love, which is a love for Christ. So that's something that we talked about last week that can get unbalanced. You can be so worried about false teaching that we forget that we're here to worship Jesus. So this is the background of the book of Ephesus. Let's have at the first part of verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So again, when, when we read scripture, often we, we see words in there and, and, and we might not even ask, pause to ask ourselves, what do these words mean? And we have to ask ourselves right away, what is an apostle? And, and if I had to, to guess, I would say there's some of you in here that, that might be able to recite that, but, but probably most wouldn't know. What is an apostle? Can there be apostles today? Well, let's, let's look here. Let's go to Mark, the beginning of the book of Mark. And this is Jesus bringing the 12 up onto the mountain. And he went up on the mountain and called to him, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now get this. This is going to define what an apostle is so that they might be with him. An apostle is with Jesus, and he might send them. The, the actual word apostle is, in, in the word is a sent one, to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So an apostle is somebody designated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody can claim apostleship on their own. Not by man, only by the Lord. They have been with Jesus, and we're going to see that here in another verse. They're sent by Jesus, they're preaching Jesus, and they have authority. Authority. Paul had authority. Peter had authority. James had authority. Mark, the apostles, had authority. This is why when they were preaching, again, you see miracles happening. God is authenticating their message. In fact, as you know, Judas was one of the 12 disciples, and Judas uh, died. You, know, you, you may or may not know the story. And the, the apostles, the 12, 11 apostles now, are sitting on early in the book of Acts, and they're like, okay, we need 12. We need to replace Judas. So Acts 1, 21 to 26. So they're talking about what, what is an apostle. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, ascension, 
One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So the apostles had to be a witness to the resurrected Christ. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So here in this little bit of scripture, we, we see that the, the disciples, the apostles are sitting around. They're like, well, he, he's got to be, if we're going to add a, an apostle, he has to be a witness to the resurrection around at the baptism of John and the ascension. And they choose Matthias by lot. So you might be asking if you're in here and you're, you're, you're thinking, well, what about Paul? Because Paul wasn't with them. How does Paul claim apostleship? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 7 to 11. And this is Paul writing. So Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians And he says, talking about Jesus and his resurrection, he says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So Paul is identifying himself as an apostle. And he says, I was untimely born. I wasn't with the 11. There's something different about Paul. And who knows if, you know, the the, the 11, and they cast lots for Judas. Was that, did God just want Paul to be the 12th? That's another question. It's, um, you can, can dig into that. It would be an interesting um, rabbit trail. But Paul is claiming apostleship, and there's many other places in the Bible, and we're not going to go there, where he's saying this is not me claiming it. It's God that has given him the apostleship. We're going to look at that here um, in a minute, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 37 to 38. And again, just, just to stop, like it might feel like we're on a, a little off the trail here, but we want to establish early on that these words that we're listening to in Ephesians and these words that we hear every week, week in and week out, the Bible, that it is authoritative, that it, they are the very words of God. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So think about this right now, Paul, what he's saying. He's saying, oh, you... You think you're a prophet? You think you're speaking for the Lord? If you truly are a prophet, if you're truly speaking of the Lord, you'll recognize that my writing, Paul, my writing 
is actually a command of the Lord. Like no one in here can say that. (laughs) No one can say that. But Paul said it. And he says, if you don't recognize that my writing is of the Lord, you're not recognized. This is how strong Paul knows I am commissioned by the Lord. These are not my words when I write. These are the Lord's words. And I would ask you this morning, and I know we've got people in different places. Um, When you read the Bible or you hear it read, are you hearing it like that? Is it the word of the Lord to you? At the core of your faith is is the word your foundation. How do you make decisions about what to do? How to live? Is it the word of the Lord? Or is it the latest cultural trends? I I think with Christians, we, we... fall into two categories. I'm going to oversimplify it, and I'm sure there's shades of both, but, but here are the two categories um, of, of error. There's two categories of error. Number one, you believe that the, the Scripture is the word of the Lord, you just don't know it. You haven't studied it. You might be under some kind of teaching um, that might be twisting the word, of the Lord, you may have been under it for a long time, so therefore your lens in which you read the word of the Lord is, is colored and, and, and wrong. And by the way, I want you to do that with me if I'm saying something up here and, and preaching something and you're like, I, I don't think that sounds right. I hope and pray, go home, open up your Bible and say, is, is what pastor's saying True. Is what he's saying true? So I think the first category is you believe that, that the Bible is the word of the Lord, but you're, you're not in it enough and you haven't, and I say study it, I just mean read it. You haven't read it enough to know what the word of the Lord is saying. So therefore, you could have maybe me or someone else up here preaching and, and telling you something wrong and, and you don't know it. You don't know that it's wrong. So we need to, to be wise in that area. And the second category, and I do believe this is a real category from conversations, you believe in God, and maybe you would even say you believe in Christ, but you do not in any way see the scriptures as authoritative. And I I say this is a real category. I know it's a category. I know that there's believers who claim Christ who say, well, we can't. You can't trust the Bible. And I would just press you a little. Well, then how can you even claim Christ? What, how we're, at that point, you're picking and choosing what you like. You might like the, the love scriptures and the gentleness scriptures and the grace scriptures, which are all true. But are you rejecting the sin, God's wrath, repentance, the severity of God? There's two sides. They're not opposing they're not opposing. They're, they're together. So um, maybe just do a little heart work. Do you feel like you fall into one of those categories? First um, Thessalonians, Paul says to this church in Thessalonica, they're a new church, probably one of the, the newest churches out there at this point. And he's writing them the first letter, and he says, 
we, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Do you accept the Bible is God's authoritative word? I pray and I hope that you do. And then I would just, if you do, I would just challenge and I know some of you in here would say you're not a reader. Well, there's a lot of audio ways to, to take in the word these days, but press in to the word. Otherwise, it's easy to get captured and, and hung up in false teaching and errors that, that are basically taking what's going on in the world around us and combining it um, with the, the word of God. So how do you receive the word of God? Is it the words of men or is it the word of God? All right, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, let's continue. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So here, we're going to hear Paul lay out like, hey, I am not an apostle because I wanted to be an apostle. I wasn't hanging around thinking, man, how am I going to travel around the Mediterranean and see all these cities and and and?" be on boats and, and just have an exciting life. Oh, apostleship. That's the job track for me. This is not what Paul's doing. Nor does he see apostles and say, I'm inspired by that. I want to be an apostle. These guys are preaching and they're preaching with authority. He didn't see it and want it. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul hated the apostles, and Paul hated Christians. He was at enmity against God. And so were some of us. So were all of us, actually. Not some, all of us um, at one point. So let's go to Acts 26, 9 to 11. Paul's going to describe how he became an apostle. And he's going to describe how he became an apostle by the will of God, not by him um, and his desires and, and wants. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Get this picture right now of the Apostle Paul. A raging fury against God's people. Raging fury when they were put to death, he cast his vote and said, yes, die. Christian, die. He made them blaspheme. He humiliated them. This is Paul before he was converted. He's not chasing apostleship. He's not wanting this job. 
He's not interested in Christianity and seeking it. He is dead set against Jesus. He was opposing the name. And then this happens. So Paul here is before Agrippa, King Agrippa, and he begins to tell him what happened. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stop there for a moment, right there. Jesus Christ tells Paul when Paul is persecuting Jesus' people that he is persecuting Jesus. That's how much you, if you know Jesus, are the body of Christ and Christ is the head. This is not just a picture. Jesus so identifies with the body of Christ, with Christians, that when Christians are persecuted, he says, you're persecuting me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. So here's his apostleship. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Paul's, his command from God. He's on his way, going after Christians, and God stops him, turns him around and says, you're going to be my man and you're going to the Gentiles and you're going to preach the gospel. Verse 19 goes on and he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul could not have been disobedient to the heavenly vision. When God calls us to himself, there is nothing we can do to resist. And when God calls us to some sort of mission, there is nothing you will be able to do to resist. This is the providence of God this is the sovereignty of God. Um, this week, I, I'm not going to get into this. I have a paper, if you're interested in this, with some scripture. There's two wills of God. His desired will, he desires for all of us in here to live godly lives, and sometimes we don't. But there's also a decreed will. And God's decreed will is he will make that happen. And what's happening here is Paul is being changed and commissioned. And this is God's decreed will. 
You're also going to see in the book of Ephesians, which will challenge some of you in the next three weeks, you heard when, when it was read this morning, you're going to hear words like chosen, election, predestination. This is God's decreed will, his decreed will. In fact, I, I have a, a story and it, it, it was just telling it in, in one of our Bible studies, but um, I think it was about, oh, I can't, my years, 20 years ago? No, 17 years ago? 17 years ago. We'll go with 17. Don't hold me to it. Um, my wife was attending a woman's Bible study and you know, throughout my college, I had kind of gotten into many different scenes and, and ideas and philosophies and um, thought I had the world figured out. That, you know, all paths lead to God, kind of, that was my, my thesis, I think. Um, so Amy started going to a Bible study, and she would come back from those studies excited and I would try to tear her down and just tell her why Christianity was wrong. And one of those weeks, I remember thinking, you can't do that and refute something you don't know anything about. So I started to read the Bible. I started to read the Bible with a bend towards, this is silly, this can't be real, all the Christians I know are silly. Um, I'm going to be the one that figures this out, and I'll show you. I'll, 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 I'll show you. But in that rebellion, and this was a rebellion, make no mistake about it, I was rebelling and, and trying to, to, to chop God down. He grabbed my heart and just somewhere in there and said, uh-uh, you're mine. <laughs> you're mine. That's election. That's providential election. That's God's decreed will. It's all over the Bible, and you're going to see it in Ephesians, and you're going to have to wrestle with it. If you don't believe it, you're going to have to wrestle with it. Um, same thing with ministry. I had a very similar situation. I've told these stories. Um, you've probably heard them from me over the years, but as I felt God leading me in, into to ministry, I tried to walk away. I kept trying to walk away. This wasn't something that was on my radar in any way at all. And you've heard my story. I, when I got my first job, I remember saying, I just, one thing, I just don't want to speak in public. So this was not naturally something that, that came to me. And over a period of five years, when, when the Lord was welling up within my heart, this desire to teach and preach and shepherd the flock, I was also at the same time trying to turn and say, I know I've seen pastors, they get ripped up and chewed out, and I see the life, and I don't want it. And every time I tried to take a step over here, I would be so incredibly just anxious and, and with no peace. And finally, after years of back and forth, I finally just surrendered and said, okay, God, whatever you want to do with me. And then I was like, peace. Okay. Amen. But that's the idea of God's will. When he wants, there's going to be times where it's a, he's got a will and he wants you to do it and you're going to choose otherwise, but there's going to be times where he says, no, you're coming with me. And that's what's going on with Paul. And I would just ask you, what is God calling you to 
that's making you uneasy, I would say it's probably, if it's something that he's calling you to, you might be fighting it. You might, it might, you might hear it here from the pulpit. You might hear it on a Sunday. It's something from his word, and, and you're like, I don't want to do that. And you might be trying to, this is what I did, you reason and make arguments why you don't want to do it. But what is he calling you to? What's, is there a pebble in your shoe that's turning into a rock, and you just can't get rid of it? And I would say, just listen to that. Maybe, maybe it's just faith. Maybe he's calling you to himself, and he's calling you to himself, and you've been resisting. Maybe it's baptism by immersion. Maybe he's calling you to be baptized, and you've been trying to, 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 to talk about why you don't need to do it. Maybe it's praying in public, and you're just afraid to do it in, in a Bible study, and he's wanting you to do it. Paul was destined to be an apostle by the Lord's will. And make no mistake about it, you have a destiny in the Lord too. He has called you. He's called all of us to to something. Um, All right, let's keep moving. Ephesians 1, 1, the second half of Ephesians 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So here's a question that we got to work through. When you hear the word saints, what do you think of? And actually, interactive. When you hear the word saints, merit, yep, right? Kind of, what else? Football. <laughs> New Orleans Saints. I wasn't thinking that, Steve, but yes, that's, yeah, what else do you hear? When you think about saints, what do you think about? Those being sanctified. So Kate's got the, the biblical answer, yes. In some way, because of Roman Catholicism, we've all been a little, a little colored and shaded with this word saints. Um, to be a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a step process. I think performing miracles is one of them. Um, and often, you know, you hear there's different saints and they pray to the saints But the reality is that this word saints in the Bible is Paul's favorite word to describe Christians, saints. He uses it nine times in Ephesians, 39 times in all of Paul's letters. He describes the church people as saints. He does not use the word Christians. He calls us saints. Saints. The same word for saint is the same word for holy. Same, same word, agias. So when you see holy in the Bible, in the New Testament, and you see saint, it's the same foundation. Holy, set apart, consecrated, uncommon, not for common use, dedicated to God. That's what the word saint means. It's, it's different. So when you, Paul calls Christian saints, he's saying you are not like everyone else. You are different. You are devoted to God. Ephesians 1.4, we're not going to do this today, but we're just going to look at it. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Why did he choose us in him before the foundation of the world? 
that we should be holy. That's the same word for saints. And blameless before him. Your identification as a Christian, as a saint, is the reason that you have been set apart and redeemed by the Lord. Have you considered that you are a saint? Is there too much baggage in that word to think that through? I would just challenge you a bit. You are a saint, and that word connotes holy. But it doesn't necessarily mean holy like we think, and we're going to look at that in a, in a minute. Um, Frank Thielman, who is a commentator that I'm looking through uh, um, as I'm preparing these sermons, says this. The term agia, saints, takes its meaning from the Old Testament, which speaks of God choosing his people from among all peoples of the earth to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Because of this status, Israel was to be holy as God is holy. Those whom God has separated as his special people should live in a way that is separate from the surrounding environment. This is what Jesus means by saying, you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're not of it. We are to live uncommon, different, set-apart Lives. And I would ask you this morning, are you living like a saint or are you living like the world lives? And, and maybe there's probably a lot of, of baggage because we're not talking about conscience issues that we think should be the way to live holy, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. We're talking about are you living like the Bible would command as saints should live? First Peter 1 15 to 16. And again, this word holy, is, as we read this, same word as saint. But is he who called you is holy, so God is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Just kind of a, a side note. Um, the more and more I study the New Testament, the more and more, more I study Paul, um, one of the biggest things that you can be doing to be a saint and not live like the world is your sexuality. And that, if you, if you look at Paul's, they're called vice lists. It's at the top of every one. He lists in, in, in Greek writing. When you have a list, you're, they're going to go from top to bottom, most important to, to least, and Paul does say in, in Corinthians, he says, all other sins are outside of the body. But sexual immorality is to the body. So there's something there. That is one thing that I would just lay, we could have a whole sermon on this, but I would just lay that out. Like that is it. That's the, the number one thing. And then, you know, working from there. But um, Tim Challies has, has a good quote here. Um, as we see, the world changing. He says, as so many nations revoke their Christian heritage, Christians will need to learn how to live in a post-Christian world. We need to learn to live in a world where the laws inhibit our ability to worship freely rather than assist it. Where traditions oppose the Bible instead of complement it, 
where the assumption is no longer that Christian people and their churches are a help, but a hindrance to a thriving, prosperous society. Brothers and sisters, this is where we're headed. We talked a lot about this in, in 1 Peter. This is in some aspects. This is where we are as Christians in America. Things are rapidly changing, rapidly changing. And I would just ask you, are, are you ready? Because this is part of living a set-apart life, a different life. I'll give you one, one example. I have four kids. They're all athletic, all of them. Um, they like to play sports. Amy and I have felt an extremely strong temptation and push um, depending on what league they're in, to, to be doing that on Sunday instead of this. Now, I'm now a pastor. That's not an option. So where's pastor? He's at a baseball game. That. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that is a, a push. And, and what, what Jally's is saying here is things are changing where everything used to line up. Like Sunday's didn't used to be a, play, a, a, a day that Little League played or other sports played, but now it is. And as a saint who are living set apart, you need to make a, a decision with your family. Do we do that or do we worship the Lord and exalt his name together on Sunday like we're called to do? That's just one example, and there's many, because the culture is no longer lining up with Christian. Some of you are old enough to, to think back to, uh, I think it's the Blue Laws. Is it the Blue Laws? Right? Like, Sunday was, was a day that was shut. It was shut down. Now, that, was when, that aligned with Christianity. That is slowly not aligned, and now many things are happening um, on Sunday, and we're going to be forced to, we either blend in, and do what the culture's doing, or we take a stand and we worship and do what God is calling us to do. Vintage Faith Church, you are a city on a hill. You are a light to the nations, and by nations, Onondaga County. Right here in central New York, you are a light. But we cannot be proclaiming the excellencies of God. The God that's brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light and expect anyone to listen to us if we are not living in that light, if we are not different. I'm not talking about being weird and I'm not talking about pulling away from the world. We should be in the world. We're on mission. We're preaching this gospel. We're on mission. That, so this is not, if you're hearing that, you're hearing me wrong. But if we're on mission and we're living like the world, all that's going to happen is you're going to be converted to the world. You're not going to, no one's going to be converted to Christ. You're going to be converted to the world. So Vintage Faith Church, you're a city on a hill. Paul has some pretty strong words in this vein, in the book of Romans, he says this, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? 
You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That is a stinging rebuke that we should just all, all of us should hear this. Like, hear it and just, this is part of the severity of God. God is gracious and loving and Abba, Father, and and his yoke is easy and light, but there is severity. And what Paul is saying right here is, when we don't live like God is calling us to live, God's name is blasphemy because of us. Do we want that on us? When people that you've maybe shared the gospel with now see you doing something that you're like, and even they know that that's not in line with the Bible. That's blaspheming the name of the Lord, and that's serious. So vintage faith, let's, let's take our calling and our, our light to the Gentiles serious. All right, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up with, with just one more um, part of, of uh, the letter. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So I, I, I think... This might be a new category to, to some of you. Maybe it's not, but I really want to, to throw this out there, and you're not going to walk away with this zipped up and tidy, but I just want you to think about it and bring it to your Bible reading and, and keep it in your head. Everything is about being in Christ. It's called union with Christ. None of the benefits that we have, salvation, heaven, any of it, is apart from Christ. It's in him. When we come to God, we, when we come to the truth, we're not just coming to a set of ideas and a set of doctrines. We are coming to a person. There's a relationship. That's it. This is not, anything else is going to be religion. And religion is going to do two things. Religion is going to create what we call legalism, working for God and pride, and, and, or it's going to create, I'm going to use a big word here, antinomianism, which is, I don't like any of this law. I don't like Christ telling me what to do. I just love Christ. I'm going to do what I want. But if you can really take hold of what it means to be in Christ, relationally with Christ, the love of Christ, that's why we worship and our hearts are moved. We're worshiping a person. We're not worshiping a set of ideas or a set of doctrine, but just a few. I want, I want to just see how big of a topic this is just in Ephesians chapter 1. This is not going to be up on the screen, but I'm in chapter 1. <clears throat> if you want to follow along with me, you can try. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ, in union with him. Only because Christ has it and he is the Son of God do we have it. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he has blessed us in the beloved. Your blessing is not on you. Your blessing is on Jesus and you're in Christ and you're blessed in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. There's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All of your blessings and my blessings as a Christian are because we are united to Jesus and he is the blessed son. Apart from Jesus, we are cursed. None of these blessings come to us apart from Jesus. So you can know Jesus and you can love Jesus and you can be his child, but you can start subtly thinking about all these blessings and they're outside of him when, when we need to go to him and talk to him and worship him and feel that um, united union with Christ. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson talks about this idea and he's going to, again, he's going to use that word antinomianism, which antinomianism, again, I'm going to define it. It just means um, lawless. If you've, if you've ever heard someone say or you've said, I can do whatever I want because of grace, that's antinomianism. Legalism is I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, and you should work too, and you should work too, and you should work too, and maybe my conscience is going to tell me that you should be like me, and that's legalism. They're both bad, but what Ferguson is going to say, they're the same coin. Antinomianism and legalism are non-identical twins. This is why scripture never prescribes one is the antidote for the other. It is not a balance. So if you've ever thought like, hey, it's a balance, it's not. Rather, grace, God's grace in Christ, in our union with Christ, is the antidote to both. This is an observation of major significance for some of the most influential antinomians in church history acknowledged they were on a flight from the discovery of their own legalism. So what he's saying is antinomianism and legalism, it's the same. Union with Christ. That's why we take worship so serious here. That's why Steve and I, for the last three years, we've been studying it together, reading books together, choosing songs, making sure lyrics are right, because Sunday has everything to do with just a boost to your union with Christ. So you can go out and live and be on mission and evangelize and be salt and light to the world. The gospel offer is not a set of doctrines. It's not just truth. It is Christ himself. Union with Christ in whom all the blessings are found. We come to a person, truth is a person, and you and I can know him intimately. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, if this sounds like it's all over your head, call out to him. Lord, I am a sinner, I need you. You've died on the cross for me and for my sin. I turn from my sin and trying to be my own God and trying to, to rule my own life to you. I want to be under you. I want to follow you, Lord. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead and that if I believe in you, I will have everlasting life. Have you received the grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Ephesians 1-2 says, Grace to you 
and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have peace without the grace of God. Grace comes first, then peace. Peace with God and peace with men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we embark on this journey together as a church, and we study and, and hear some of the loftiest, most beautiful language about you and what you've done for us and the church, help us to, to grab hold of it, to take hold of it. Speak to us. Lord, remind us that it is you speaking, that Paul is an apostle, and that he is speaking the very words of, that are yours, the word of God. Remind us as we continually come under um, your word in Ephesians that these are just not any words, that they are your words to your people. Speak to us individually. Speak to our families. Speak to our church. Pray that you unite us in mind and spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.